Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. How are we doing at the 11 a.m. today? Good? You join us online, Unfiltered Radio, podcasting, glad you're with us. Um, how many of you have flamed out on your New Year's resolutions already? All right, nobody's going to be honest. It's fine, man. It's a safe place. Yeah, thank you. Um, that's fine, because I'm going to talk to you about something that's better than New Year's resolutions. Anyway, um, most of you, not actually all of you, I think, regardless of who you're raised by or what your family of origin looks like, there were certain things growing up of like, you say this, you don't say this, you do this, don't do that. Some was just obvious, and then others, there's real, uh, weird rules that are specific to every family, you know what I'm talking about? Um, so there's just stuff that you just learn how to play the game. Here's how we act and don't act. Here's what we do in this home. Here's what we don't do in this home. And then for some of you, you would get coached going places. So at a certain point, like your parents didn't even really care if you um, actually believed or did any of it. You just wanted to look like it. So they're like, hey, just act like you like it, you know, when you're going somewhere. Um, pretend you're happy. I don't care if you are happy. I want you to pretend like you're happy um, for the sake of my reputation. They wouldn't say it that way, but that's what they meant. Um, or there's certain things, if you're raising three boys like me, along with my older daughter, sometimes the conversation is just like, hey, can you be appropriate for where we're going right now? Just act appropriate um, with what's happening. My, uh, the guy that I know a few years ago, they were at a resort, and so he had three boys as well. And um, they were at the resort pool, and one of his sons, middle son, had to like go pee. So he's like, hey, dad, I, I gotta go. What do I do? He's like, just go in the pool. And so he goes back, you, uh, you've done it. Um, whatever. Um, <laughs> so he goes back to reading his book without thinking about it. His boys are, are playing in the pool. Um, and then he begins to hear like commotion and like something's going on and looks up from his book and horrifyingly, his son is standing on the outside of the pool peeing into it with all these people there. <laughs> so... And if you've raised boys, you know that that's easy. That could happen. Um, so it's like, but it's just that whole thing of like, just, just act right, please. And really for all of us, whatever your story is, that's kind of our first introduction to behavioral modification, which is great. And everybody's taught it. And you should be taught it. This is the thing, like, hopefully socially, you know how to interact around people. This is the thing that allows you to do well to an interview, hopefully, get a date, you know, keep a date, maybe get a third date every once in a while. Um, but this is just that you just learn how to function socially. And that's amazing. That's awesome. But almost everything we do is oriented around behavioral modification, educational system, parenting, um, church culture. It's almost always behavioral modification. And there's a part of that that's okay in terms of life. You got to learn some life skills. You got to have some emotional intelligence. But Jesus would actually say, if that's all you ever do, you have missed it. Like behavioral modification, that whole thing of cause and effect, monitor your behavior to get certain outcomes, that's not all there is to it. In fact, that, honestly, if that's all you're going with, you're gonna end up severely disappointed and you're gonna end up in a place that you don't wanna be. There has got to be more than behavioral modification. So we'll come back to that in a second. 
We're in part two of this series called Living With Yourself. And the whole series is about how to ensure that the self you're living with is the self that other people see that they're not two different people. Because as we've said, we've all had the circumstance of seeing somebody else from a distance and they just like flame out with some area of their life. They make a terrible decision. They go off the rails and maybe it's a secret that they're harboring. Maybe it's some kind of lie where they're lying to the people that they love and you know that depend on them. Um, it's some kind of double life that they're leading. And then it comes out and you're like, what in the world? Like, How could they live with themselves? And the implication is because of my integrity or my character, there's no way that I could live with myself. There's no, I mean, how do they keep showing up? How do they come to dinner? How do they get on a stage and live like that and, and try to hide all of that? Like, how could they do that? How could they live with themselves? And we think, I, I just couldn't do it. But here's what we said, and this is so important. You could live with yourself. I could live with myself. Now, you maybe couldn't live with your present self, but as we've said, it is possible that your present self may be miles away from what your future self is gonna look like. That in fact, if left unattended in terms of your inner world, your future self could be somebody that you wouldn't even recognize because it happens all the time and we see it in other people all the time. In fact, one of the like big things that kind of makes you susceptible to this is just not recognizing that it's possible that you could become somebody that you despise and you never are gonna intend it. You're not gonna wake up one day and go, ah, I think I'm just gonna begin to go down this path. It never happens that way, but it is possible. And actually recognizing that it's possible and beginning to take steps to ensure that you don't get there is one of the key elements in this whole thing to make sure that you don't end up living with yourself in a way or having a self that you live with that's completely different than what other people see. And there's kind of a, a double life going on. And there's something that's going on below the surface and nobody knows about it until eventually it comes out. And it always comes out. And here's why this is a big deal, this whole series, because the health of your soul, paying attention to your inner world, that place of mind, emotions, will, desires, dreams, the health of your soul will determine your capacity for duplicity. Like how well you decide to, to look at the gaps in your life, meaning it's so easy for gaps to grow between who you are and who you pretend to be who you are and who you wanna be. If you're a Jesus follower, and if you're not, you can ignore all of this if you want to, but who you are and what God wants you to be. And the more you don't pay attention to your soul, the more that that gap can grow wider and wider and wider until you're a self that you don't even recognize. And what you tend to do with the gap will determine how much duplicity you can live with before you melt down and before your conscience won't allow you to go on any longer. So in this series, basically, we're looking at four habits that ensure you don't get there. Four habits, and these are way better than resolutions. I'm not um, opposed to resolutions. Most of them are, eh, they don't really matter and nobody follows them. But there are better questions that you can ask that are gonna have more impact on your life than any resolution. And this is one of them. These are the four habits in this series that ensure that you safeguard your soul, that inner part of your world, so you don't end up in a place that you never wanted to be. And last week, and you can go back and listen to it, go to YouTube, any podcast catch, we talked about the starting place is to surrender your will. Because when you surrender your will, your conscience becomes more sensitive. And when that begins to happen, you become less tolerant of duplicity. So the starting place is surrendering your will, your entire self to God if you're a follower of Jesus. Today, I wanna look at the second habit. And this really comes from a conversation that religious leaders have with Jesus. One day, religious leaders, Pharisees, came to Jesus and they're, I mean, just completely up in arms about the fact that the disciples were not following what they would call tradition of the elders. These basically made up rules. The other way you could say the tradition of the elders is oral Torah. So let me explain this real quick. You guys still with me? Oh, thanks. Um, 
I'm not convinced, but I'll keep going. Oral Torah was unwritten rules that were handed down from generation to generation. And they were put on par with the written rules that were given to Moses back in the Old Testament, if you're familiar with that. And if you're not, that's like the, old, the, the Ten Commandments, all the Old Testament laws and rules. So those were given by God to Moses. Those were written down, I mean, literally on tablets. But then over generations, besides the written laws, there was this whole verbal unwritten law called the Oral Torah that people didn't even know what it was half the time. It's similar to what some of you grew up with, where there was like the stuff in the Bible and then there's all these denominations rules that changed based on generation and area of the world, area of the country. I mean, it was, and you just never really knew what it was. And it was just from segment of religious, you know, sex to different sex. It, it was just different. And it's like, okay, so what's the rules again? What do I need to follow again? What's going to make God upset again? And the whole thing was confusing. This is that kind of culture. And so they come to Jesus one day and they're like, your disciples are not following the oral Torah. And the oral Torah was like rules that kind of doubled down on the original rules and laws. And so, for example, one of the original Old Testament laws was you had to observe the Sabbath. You couldn't work on the Sabbath. They made another law that said you couldn't even handle money on the Sabbath. So they would just always double down with these arbitrary made up rules that they put equal with God's law. Now, in this case, the issue was there was these dietary standards that in their culture would make you kind of unclean or in their words, defiled in terms of religious worship. So there was these dietary laws, but then they doubled down with these other laws that said you actually had to you know, thoroughly wash your hands to make sure that something didn't accidentally get into your body that's not supposed to and makes you unclean. And so the Pharisees come to Jesus to go, your disciples, they're outraged. Their disciples are not washing their hands. And this is, you know, pre-COVID and everything. It wasn't even that big a deal, but they were like, they're, they're not washing their hands. And here's the thing about Jesus, as you would probably imagine, Jesus did not really care about the unwritten laws, didn't really care about the world Torah. And here's why. Because from generation to generation, it was passed down. Nobody really knew what it was. Most of it was made up. And the religious leaders, maybe this is your story, the religious leaders would use these unwritten laws that nobody could really nail down to keep people in guilt for their entire religious experience. And Jesus had just had enough of it. And so he turns to these religious leaders and Matthew records it in Matthew 15, 10, it says to the crowd, he turns to them, listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth, Jesus said, does not defile them. Like guys, all these made up rules, all these things that you keep adding that nobody even knows what they are. It doesn't matter. What you eat is not what puts you at odds with God. Your made up religious laws are not what puts you at odds with God. But what comes out of his mouth, that's what, what's the word? Defiled. Basically, Jesus is like, that's what God cares about. There's something so much bigger than your behavioral modification, your outward external rules, your hand-washing ceremonies. That is not what God cares about. And then Jesus finishes and he's like, see you later. And then he just leaves. <laughs> In typical Jesus fashion, they're like, whoa, whoa, you gotta give us more than that. Because this doesn't mean anything to us, but in, in old ancient religious culture, Jesus is dropping a bomb right here because basically what he's saying is the law was not given to please God. Amen. The law was given to protect people. And that's a big deal. In fact, the Old Testament law, I don't have time, this is another series, and I've done one on this before, but the Old Testament law is so misinterpreted. Most of it was all about civil law to help birth a brand new nation. But then another part of it was just laws for this brand new nation that really didn't know how to operate independently. These laws about how to protect these people in terms of just living life in a way that they would flourish. 
Then in the New Testament, Jesus kind of does away with all of that and gives a singular command. I want you to love God by loving other people. And he makes very, very clear that a lot of the religious system that they grew up with and we grew up with, we've completely misinterpreted it. All these things about here's what I need to do to please God. Here's the checklist to make sure that God's okay with me. He's like, that's not what God cares about. The law isn't about pleasing God. God's good. The law is about protecting other people, about ultimately protecting image bearers made in the image of God. This is why for some of you, real quick, the the religious experience you grew up with, where it felt like some of the laws and the rules were prioritized over people. I'll give you examples. This is so heartbreaking to me. My wife and I regularly, I mean regularly, have the heartbreaking experience of talking to kids who grew up in Christian homes where because of some decision they've made or because of just something that's happened to them or you know, a lifestyle that their parents deem as like, this is at odds with God, that their parents will literally say to them, not first century culture, this is 2024, will literally say to them that they are dis- disowned. They're no longer a son and daughter because of their behavior or their lifestyle. And then we are called in and we got to clean up the mess for the so-called Christian parents who look nothing like Jesus. Because when the law is used as an excuse to disinherit or to break off a relationship with somebody who's made in the image of God, you have misinterpreted the law of God. And for some of you, you grew up in a religious experience where the law was prioritized over a person. And if Jesus showed up, I'm just telling you, he would side with you because the law was not given as some kind of set of rules that, you know, the people were for the the laws. The rules were actually for people to protect people to make sure that image bearers made in the image of God were treated like that. And so then Jesus goes on. They're all confused. And then he comes back around, explains it and kind of messes with them. Verse 16, are you guys still so dull? I mean, this is Jesus. Hey, hey, dummies, let me explain it to you. (laughs) I didn't say it, it's Jesus. <laughs> Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body and the disciples are like, all right, we may be dumb, but we know that. What's your point? And then Mark records what Jesus says next in Mark seven twenty. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. And they're like, so, what? Jesus, what are you talking about? I mean, it's, we're not even gonna say it. What are you talking about? And then I think Jesus turns to them and smiles and he says this. And again, for us, maybe not that big a deal. For them in this culture, such a big deal. For it is from within, in a almost completely external religious system, he says, it is from within, out of a person's, what? Heart. The evil thoughts come. And again, they're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But the disciples are, oh, so you're saying that thoughts are what can devour a person? Because we thought it was like if we didn't wash our hands. We thought it was as if we didn't attend temple a certain number of times or if our bull or goat wasn't you know, up to inspection. We thought it was about all of these ritual, external religious practices. But you're saying that our thoughts, the stuff that nobody else even knows about can defile us? And Jesus is like, yeah, because listen, every dysfunctional behavior, every bad decision, everything that went off the rails at some point in a season of our life, it all started because of your thinking, because of thoughts. And then Jesus says this. And here's the behaviors that began from within. And none of these things will surprise us. Sexual immorality, theft, Murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, bad judgment. Now, just go with me for a second because so much of this has been misinterpreted. This is such a big deal to help you interpret the entire New Testament, Matthew to Revelation. The disciples thought, okay, hold up. So you're saying that all of these things are what defile a person, but all of these things are directed at people. And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, but they're directed at people. No, no, I know. But they're directed at people, not God. Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, that's my point. I thought you were talking about what makes you at odds with God. Jesus is like, no, I am. And Jesus' whole point, which was so revolutionary to them, and in some ways it may be for you, hurting and, listen to me, and mistreating another person is what puts you at odds with God. Now, if you're in Christ, like trusting what Jesus has done for you is what we call the good news that he came and lived a perfect life, that he died the death we should have died for our sin, past, present, and future. We believe historically rose from the dead and go, I'm trusting in what you've done for me to forgive me and save me and become a child of God. Nothing is gonna separate you from that. So when I say odds with odds at God, if you're in a relationship with him, nothing is gonna undo that relationship. God does not disinherit his kids. But I'm just talking about in the sense of the closeness of that relationship, that thing where I wanna follow Jesus. I want to be all in. It's not the external religious practices that put you at odds with God. It is when you hurt or you mistreat another image bearer, that is the thing that defiles a person. And that's how all of the New Testament should be treated. Jesus is changing the paradigm of a vertical relationship with God where we thought we could just check boxes and sing a song and learn a verse and get in a group. God, we good. God, are you pleased with me? And Jesus is like, that's not how it's working anymore. Now, if you want to know where you're at in vertical relationship with God, it's determined by where you're at in horizontal relationship with other image bearers. I don't need you to do anything for me. I'm God. I'm good. I want you to do something for people who are made in my image. And no longer is there a religious system, which some of you have grown up with, where you can hate other people in Jesus' name. You can ostracize people that are not like you in Jesus' name. You can publish anything you want on social media about a different political party because they're not really people and they're not on my side and you can treat and you can walk out and you can slander and you can do whatever you want and do it in Jesus name and think that Jesus is good with you. And Jesus would say that day is over. And now the vertical relationship and relationship with God is now born out in the horizontal. Your love for God is demonstrated and authenticated by your love for other people. And if you don't love other people, you are not a follower of Jesus. And it was a completely different shift in religion. So verse 23, so he's like, so all of these evils, that's why you should pay attention to the inside, come from the inside. That's what defiles a person. And it's a big deal to God, not because God needs anything from you. The whole list is about other people. It's a big deal to God because every single individual you are eyeball to eyeball with is made in his image. And you are made in his image. And God doesn't want you to do anything that's gonna hurt other people. And God doesn't want you to do anything that's gonna hurt you. And so the implication is clear. Washing your hands, that's not not what puts you at odds with God. You need to pay attention to what's within. You need to pay attention to what's going on on the inside of you because eventually it's gonna come out on the outside of you and your behavior will mirror your heart. I mean, it's why every once in a while, like all of us have seen this in our life where something happens and we say something and we respond a certain way, pressure kind of comes in around us and all of a sudden we react and we get angry and, and it's like, well, that's not characteristic of me. I don't normally do that. I don't normally say that. Well, where's that coming from? And Jesus was like, I know, I know where it's coming from. That's your heart. And yeah, you don't always do that. You don't always say that. You don't always respond to that way. Generally, you're more socially adept, but every once in a while, the filter breaks down and your very sophisticated 
behavioral modification system doesn't hold up under the pressure any longer, right? And you react and it's a little window into what's going on in your heart. And listen, if your heart goes unchecked long enough, I mean, you know this, it'll eventually bleed its way into every relationship of your life. This is some free advice on the side. If you're in a relationship right now and every once in a while they respond in ways that are like, what's up with that? What's up with them? That's not, that's not like them. And it seems to be disproportionate to the situation. You just need to mark it down. In a long-term relationship with that individual, you're getting little windows into their heart and the longer you're with them, the thinner the filter will become. Because that behavior is a mirror into our hearts. So look at what Jesus says, this is the summary. Immorality, deceit, slander, adultery, envy, bad judgment, theft, greed. Can I just ask you a question? You know anyone who's lost a family because of any of those things? Do you know anybody who's lost a job, sabotaged a career, had their reputation destroyed? In some ways, because of some of it, maybe kind of lost their mind. And, and there's some cases where you look to the outside, if it's somebody else and you go, what the heck, man? I never saw that coming. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they made that decision. Like they seem so kind. How could they do that to that person? What happened? It's easy that over a period of time, they ignored their heart. They ignored their soul because all of culture will teach you that if you can just fake it, you'll make it. If you can just worry about the exterior and get friends and get a job and a good education and the house you want, you're fine. And Jesus would go, no, no, it's not enough because eventually what is on the inside of you will come to the outside of you. And it has the potential to destroy your soul and sabotage every area of your life where the gap will grow. And suddenly you're a self you don't even really recognize. And if I can be honest, for some of you, that's where you are right now. And maybe nobody knows it yet, but you know it. And the people that peop, the, the person people think you are and who you actually are, are very, very different. And you never intended for this. You never woke up one day and decided this. You kind of wondered what happened to get you here. And it's simple. You didn't close the gap. You decided to manage the gap between who you were and who you were pretending to be. And now the gap has grown wider and wider and wider. And Jesus would say to you, I want you to monitor your heart. I want you to begin to close those gaps. So this is the second habit of the four habits in the series that I, again, I've said about a hundred times in the last few minutes, that one of the key habits to safeguarding your soul is to monitor your heart to pay attention to what is going on inside of you before it gets to the outside of you. And specifically around four big areas that I think are the epicenter of what we need to pay attention to. Guilt, anger, greed, jealousy. You guys say them with me real quick. Guilt, anger, greed, jealousy. Because Jesus would say left unaddressed, seriously. Some of these you're just gonna kind of dismiss, but I'm telling you, they have the potential to destroy your soul. Jesus would actually, in his words, would say, this is what defiles you. This is what puts you at odds with God, not odds with God's love, but in terms of your experience of the relationship with God and the life that God ultimately wants with you. And they have the potential to define you because eventually they're gonna come to the outside of you and they're gonna hurt every relationship around you. So here's the four things. The first one is this. I'm gonna go real quick, guilt. The, these basically, the best way I've ever heard these described is debt, debt, or relationship. Somebody owes and they need to pay. And guilt, what guilt says is I owe you. I have a secret and I maybe owe you an apology. I owe you restitution. I owe you an explanation. I owe you the truth. And I mean, many of you know this. 
the long, I mean, this has been some of our experiences. The longer guilt stays hidden, the more guilt grows. The longer guilt stays hidden, the more guilt has the potential to grow in the dark and sabotage everything that we care about in our life. And the key element for guilt to break its power is confession. Thing we don't like to talk about, it's not popular, but confession is the only thing that breaks the power of guilt. And initially it is messy, but this is the only way to put a period on a season of your life that you need to move past. It is the only way to put a period on some guilt that you are carrying around. And yeah, it may be momentarily messy, but it is the thing that frees you. And confession is not about confession to God. God already knows. God's good. He's like, yeah, yeah, I was there. I saw it. It was horrible. I need you. This is what the scripture says. This is, I get it. This is terrifying. I'm with you. Scripture says that, that James says in the New Testament, the way to healing is actually confession to other people. And it may not even be the person that you hurt because they may not even be around anymore. They may not even be alive. But I'm telling you, it's just a dynamic that's true. And some of you could tell the story better than me that when you confess, it breaks the power of that insidious thing that is on the inside of you that continues to grow. And yeah, momentarily, there will be chaos. Eventually, there will be peace. You know, yeah, but confession is gonna hurt them. No, confession doesn't hurt people. Sin hurts people. Dysfunction hurts people. Allowing the gap to grow in your life, it hurts people. And what will happen is the longer you put this off, the more the gap grows and the more you'll continue to repeat behaviors that you'll have to confess later anyway. And there will be more damage and more dysfunction. The quicker you can do this, the more you get to the place to safeguard your soul and put a period on that season of your life to go, this does not have to define me. I am moving on. Guilt, you are not gonna control me any longer. I owe, I can't even pay it all, but I'm gonna confess and through the power of Jesus, I can go free. You gotta safeguard your soul. Second one is anger and anger is a debt debtor relationship. It says, you owe me, like you, you owe me, you took something, you hurt me and now you owe me. In a sense, every time you're angry, it's as if somebody stole something from you and now they owe you, right? It's like a, it's like a, a ledger relationship, it is debt, debtor. And they owe you something they took. For some of you, if you were, you maybe have never put it in this language, but in some ways somebody stole a childhood from you. Somebody did something to you and they stole your innocence. Somebody stole an idea at work and you are angry about it and you should be. Somebody stole, I mean, whatever it is, a first marriage you're never gonna get back, a season of your life in your 20s, they stole your reputation. But in essence, every time you are hurt, every time you're carrying anger, it's because at some level, somebody has stolen something from you and they owe you. And basically, when you continue to carry anger around that thing that was stolen, you decide, I'm gonna hold it over that person. And here's the thing about anger, man, it's so insidious. And again, some of you know this. The problem with anger is you can carry anger for so long that it goes with you as like a carry-on from season to season to season, and it gets to a place where you carry it for so long, you actually forget the original source of the anger. And you decide with that anger, I'm gonna hold it over you, and then without meaning to, I'm gonna hold it over anybody who reminds me of you. And it'll destroy your soul. And Jesus says, I, I want something better for your life. I, I want you to begin to move in a different direction because you know this already, whatever they stole, they can never, ever give it back, can they? 
They're not gonna be able to gift wrap a first marriage back to you. They can't give you your 20s back. They, they can't restore what they broke and what they hurt and what, what was taken. And so the only anecdote to anger in the they owe me relationship is to forgive. Now I'll just tell you, I don't know your story, but I've done this long enough to know the worst stories you can possibly, I feel like I've heard it all. And so if I were to sit down with you, and I've, I've felt like this at times, we're like, I mean, hearing your story, you get a pass. I mean, I know Jesus said it, but I, dang it. What was done to you the way that you were, I don't think you have to do this. I think you are the exception of the world. That, that's naturally how I would respond, not how Jesus, Jesus is not gonna give you a pass because Jesus knows what resentment will do to the soul of a person. And you're like, I, there's no way I can forgive. They don't deserve it. They probably don't deserve it, but your heavenly father thinks that you deserve it. And this isn't about letting them off the hook. It wasn't a big deal. They didn't wound me. They didn't hurt you. They didn't crush you. They didn't destroy your family. They may have done all of those things. This isn't about them. This is about you. This is about you going free. And the only way you are gonna break the power of this anger is to literally decide what they owe you. I mean, I counsel people, literally write it down, type it out, journal it. You decide everything specifically they owe you. And then you can make a conscious, conscious decision to say, I am canceling the debt. They do owe me, they did hurt me, they did rob me, they did destroy our family, but I am canceling the debt and it's not even for their sake. I'm gonna go free and I'm putting a stake in the ground to go, this is not gonna follow me any longer. I am not bringing your dysfunction as a carry-on into the rest of my relationship. I am not taking your crap and bringing it with me into my relationship with my kids. You will not sabotage my future and because God has done something so spectacular to forgive me in Jesus' name, you don't deserve it, you're not worthy of it, but I am as an image bearer of God, so I'm canceling the debt so that I can go free and I will not carry this any longer. And forgiveness, just a real quick point, does not mean relationship. I've forgiven people in my life that I, ha I no longer have a relationship with anymore. That's called a boundary. But for the sake of my soul, I don't wanna carry that. I remember my wife and I, our first year of marriage, we went to a, a couple that special, specializes in counseling and we've shared this story before, but it was a very dark season um, in our life and relationship for that about year and a half. And we sat with them. It's one of the things that we dealt with. And I remember like so much anger at different things um, that my wife and I were carrying that we didn't even know was there. And we literally, I have a picture of it. One day I'll show you. It, it this big red chair that we sat in and we literally just spent hours and we detailed everything that we felt like had been stolen that we were carrying. I mean, in painstaking, excruciating detail. And then we made a big ceremony out of it and we shredded that thing and we prayed over that thing. It sounds weird, but it, just, it was just to mark that moment of, it's not that I'm never gonna come back to this again. It's not that I'm never gonna feel the emotion again. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness kind of goes this way. It's like forgive, forgiving, and eventually one day emotional catch up and you'll be able to say forgiven. Sometimes that takes seven years. But it was just this moment of this is what is owed. I'm canceling the debt. And I don't know what you're gonna do with your life, but I'm going free. Anger says, you owe me. I'm not gonna make you pay because you can't anyway and I'm gonna forgive and go free. The last two, real quick, that I think are so important. Greed says, I owe me. Greed is, I'm just gonna tell you, greed is impossible to see in the mirror. This is the one that we kind of, what, greed, how's this on this? This has the potential to destroy your soul. 
Greed says, I owe me. Nobody ever sees greed in the mirror. People will admit to everything in the world but greed. They'll be like, well, I killed somebody one time, but I am not greedy. Nobody ever, I'm t- nobody ever admits it. But here's what greed is. Greed is the assumption that everything that comes to me is for my consumption. And I'm telling you, over time, if you allow this to root itself in you, other people will have to compete for your stuff and you won't even realize it. Eventually, your heart will go out to certain things, but your money will never follow it. And, and you'll, we come up with all kinds of excuses to excuse greed because nobody ever sees in the meter, uh, mirror. I'm not greedy, I'm just careful. I'm not greedy, I'm just responsible. I'm just, you know, I'm just looking out for my future. But I'm just telling you, greed has the potential to put you at odds with God. To, to sabotage, not his love, but the experience of all that God has. Because come on, this is the relationship with Jesus summarized. God so loved the world that he gave And he's asking his image bearers to live a life that mirrors that. And it means that generosity is coming to the place to recognize that everything that comes to me is not for me. And I've got to figure out how to leverage my life and my stuff for the sake of other people. In fact, Jesus said it, but we don't believe it. It is greater and happier to give rather than receive. And the only anecdote to this whole idea of greed that nobody thinks that they have is to rip off the Band-Aid and give, to give extravagantly, to give consistently, not sporadically, and to order your lifestyle around giving until it hurts. And I get, I'll just tell you, I feel like this is the thing maybe I teach on that is most culturally um, just disconnected from how everybody lives, but this is rarefied air. And I think it's what Jesus is inviting us into. Statistically, I don't mean to offend anybody, statistically, wealthy countries are not generous. Statistically, Americans in our generation are not generous. They give away about one plus percent of their income. By any other standard by which we measure priorities, that is not a priority. That is not generous. But to live in that rarefied space to go, no, no, I'm gonna make it a priority, not a legalistic thing. I've taught this for years. Take it or leave it. I've given away 10 plus percent of my income, sold stuff to give it away, just making sure that there's constantly a built-in, I wanna order my life around it. And this is how I would prioritize anything else that I say matters in my life. So this is how I'm gonna prioritize this. This needs to be a priority. This needs to be something that matters. You need to just give. And here's the thing. We always over-spiritualize giving because we don't wanna do it. We just start praying, God, just make me generous. God, help me just feel this. And we spend a decade praying about feeling generous without ever being generous. Jesus is like, would you just write a big check and over time your heart will catch up. (laughs) Send a cash app and a Venmo, go sell some stuff and give it away. But you need to prioritize your life, set up something where recurring giving, you give it away. Recurring system where you're giving stuff away, where you look at the end of the year and you're not surprised by, hey, look, we gave away 0.7% of our income. No, no, we're ordering our life around this because we are followers of Jesus. You're not, you don't need to do anything with this. You've never agreed to follow Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is at the heart of our mission. And eventually you will be generous long enough to where generosity will become easy for you. And it will, it will safeguard your soul. And then the last one that nobody thinks is a big deal, but it's such a big deal, especially in our culture, is jealousy. Jealousy says, life owes me. Life owes me. They got what I deserve. They got that promotion. They're not even as smart as me. How do they end up there? Life is so unfair. I can't believe you know, that they, they got there, that their kids ended up there, that they got in. And then we secretly celebrate the failures of other people. And we don't like people for no real rational reason. It's like, they're a stupid, skinny person. 
And we don't, you don't ever say that. So you just make up another reason why you don't like somebody. And at the end of the day, embarrassingly, you don't like them because they're skinnier than you. Now, I know you're laughing nervously. I'm talking to a bunch of people right now. I'm not wrong. And we don't, we just do that. And then we will secretly celebrate. I mean, what is this thing in us? Secretly celebrate the failures of other people thinking that somehow their failure of somebody, it's not our enemy, somebody we say we like, but somehow their failure is making me feel like I'm ahead. I'm telling you, this is so insidious and so deadly. And then what happens is in our generation of Everybody knows what everybody's doing on social media. It's one of the things that we have to deal with unlike any other generation. We start competing with people who don't even know there's a competition. And it starts to be telegraphed in your life and it will kill you. I mean, Solomon said it this way. He wasn't playing when he said, envy will rot your bones from the inside out. It will steal your joy. It will steal your peace. You will never enjoy what God has given you as long as you're comparing it to somebody else. And you'll live your whole life worried about nonsense and crap that nobody cares about. They were not even in a competition with you anyway, and you will miss out on living the life that God has given you. But here's the thing about jealousy. It's not really that life owes you. You know who you're really angry about? You know who you're really dissatisfied about? Really who your issue is with? It's with God. Jealousy actually says that God owes you. Because who's the person who could have done anything? I mean, God, he could have made you skinnier, better metabolism right? That's, a, that's an issue with God. He could have given you a different family of origin. He could open the door to that. He could have made you smarter. He could have rearranged those circumstances. Your issue, my issue is with God. And until you learn, this is the anecdote to celebrate, this has the potential to disrupt and to kill your soul. You've got to admit it and you've got to address it. And this is going to seem almost kind of silly, but I'm telling you, it worked, that you need to begin to celebrate out loud as many, as many opportunities as you get, or at least privately, as often as you can, specifically, or maybe around the people that you struggle with the most, most, you need to admit it, you need to celebrate. You need to celebrate what God has done in your life, and you need to celebrate what God is doing in other people's lives. In fact, the scripture is so clear. You wanna know one of the secrets to living with peace and contentment? It is this whole thing that we struggle so much with in a consumer culture, it's gratitude. And you have control over that. It is every day, God, I'm gonna be thankful for what you've given and I'm gonna celebrate you and I'm gonna celebrate. And I'm just telling you, you can, when you begin to do that, you can't help but begin to redirect your heart. I'll never forget talking to my dad after the loss of my mom and he had lost my brother years before and I was, just, I was talking with him about dealing with some of those really difficult seasons. And I've shared this with you before, but I'll never forget the statement. It just stopped me in my tracks, but he just turned to me and said, listen, you know what? I'm so grateful for everything that God has done in my life, despite, I mean, everybody has stuff, everybody has tragedy, the hard things happen, but they made this statement, God doesn't owe me anything. And he modeled the way of like a life of just gratitude for everything that God had done in his life, everything that God, God was doing in the lives of other people that began to redirect his heart so that he didn't miss life. Guilt, anger, greed, jealousy, they have the potential to sabotage your soul, but if you will bring them into the, to the light, they will diminish the power that it has over your heart, over your soul. You'll be able to say to them, you're not my master. You're not in control of me. I have a better king named Jesus and I have a perfect heavenly father and you will not rule my life. So I wanna, I wanna end with this. I wanna ask you a question that I've asked my kids for years and I, 
first came on this from a mentor of mine and reading a book called The Enemy From Within. It's a simple question. I've asked my kids, kids this for years. Is everything okay in your heart? Because I wanted to teach my kids how to pay attention to what was in them, not just what was on the outside of them, because I just think that's the majority of parenting, parenting books. They just tell you how to modify behavior. That ain't enough. And the thing is, when you, when you raise kids that are, that are prone to pay attention to what's within them, they will be better equipped to handle some of the pressures on the outside of them. And I know we think a lot of that is just bent or how your kids are wired. It's not. You can create that culture. You can begin to normalize. Hey, I want you to be able to communicate what is going on on the inside of you. You carrying any guilt? Anything you're afraid to tell anybody? You have any anger that's going on? That it just feels like it's eating you up? Hey, is there any jealousy that's starting to rob you? And I've done this. As soon as my kids could handle it, I would do this. Now, every once in a while, it does not work out well because I asked my four-year-old son, Case, as we started to begin these conversations, hey, Case, buddy, everything okay in your heart? Case, with his big eyes, looks back at me. He's like, actually, this, this was the question I asked him. Case, how's your heart? Daddy, you broke it. It's like, What? And I broke it because I had the nerve and the audacity to tell him to go to bed after he was running around the upstairs at nine o'clock at night and wouldn't get in bed. And apparently I crushed his heart and his soul. And so now he thinks it's a joke. So I never get it straight. Every time I ask him, I did it this week just to see again before I preach. Hey, hey buddy, how's your heart? You broke it. It's like, get away from me, man. But every once in a while, man, it's, it is amazing where we have had and I just think that you, you can create this culture at some level, like the most amazing conversation to go, yeah, yeah, no, there, there is. Actually, I feel like you broke a promise. Actually, I feel like I'm struggling with some anger at this person. Let's talk about it. So I wanna ask you, because it starts with you, is everything okay in your heart? Do you owe anybody an apology or a confession? And nobody else knows about it. They may not even know about it, but you do and you're carrying it and it's a weight on your soul. You mad at anybody? Are you in danger of allowing a gap to grow with resentment that's gonna, that's gonna go with you into the next season of your life? Are you having any imaginary conversations that are being repeated over and over again with the same person? Are you secretly celebrating somebody else's failure and it has the potential to rob you? Is your stuff owning you? If you were to look at your life, is there any pattern of generosity? You giving away any of your stuff? Are you consuming 110% of your income with consumer debt that you don't even have the potential to be generous? Are you willing to go, okay, no, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna create a plan. I'm gonna begin to give. I'm gonna begin to increase giving. I'm gonna sell some stuff again, but I'm gonna say to my stuff, I own you. You are not gonna own me. Do you need to have a, a, a difficult or uncomfortable conversation? Is there somebody whose success you need to celebrate to prove that jealousy is not your master that it doesn't own you? Is there a secret that you're carrying that's starting to grow in the dark? Is there some area where there's just a gap that's widening between the person that you actually are and the person that other people see? And if you want to be a, at a place where the self that you live with is the self that other people see, you have to take this seriously. Because we said last week, after all, what good is it? To quote Jesus, if someone gains the whole world, success, achievement, recognition, and yet they forfeit, their very heart, their very soul, their very self. 
I mean, have you ever achieved something and feel like that in the process of achieving it, you gave up a little bit of who you were? That you hurt somebody in the process? Maybe you hurt you. And Jesus would say, it is not a fair trade. And if you wanna live healthy and you wanna live whole and you wanna live free, this is it. Surrender your will and monitor your heart. Nobody is gonna know about it until things hit the fan and that gap might be a decade. Do it today. Close the gap today. Begin to do what you need to do around guilt, anger, greed, jealousy today. Because to quote Solomon one more time, above all else, of all the priorities that you could put in terms of your life and relationships, this is the one that's above all, above all else. Guard your heart because out of it come all of the issues of life. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for what you're doing in this moment. Give us wisdom to know what to do. Give us courage to do it. Wherever this lands, I pray that we would take the steps to not allow this to grow until it becomes urgent. Help us to embrace it now because it's important now. And God, redirect maybe this area of our life before it gets to a place where we become a self that we never wanted to be. And we pray all of this in Jesus' incredible name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.